The America's National Parks Podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. In 1881, Jesse and Tom Bingham heard a whistling noise coming from a beach ball-sized hole in a rock formation near Hot Springs, South Dakota. Wind was blowing out of the hole, just as it does today, with such force that it blew off Tom's hat. As the story goes, a few days later, when Jesse returned to show the phenomenon to some friends, the wind had switched directions and his hat was sucked in. The hole was the only natural entrance to a cave, a massive one. We now understand that the movement of the wind is caused by the difference in atmospheric pressure between the cave and the surface. The place was later dubbed the Wonderful Wind Cave before it became only our seventh national park of the United States. On today's episode of America's National Parks, three eras of Wind Cave National Park. We begin with a young man who made the wonderful Wind Cave everything for his short life. Here's Abigail Trebu. Frank McDonald was born in 1873 in Franklin County, Iowa, and moved to the Black Hills of South Dakota in 1890 at the age of 17. His father had been hired by a mining company to oversee their claim. It's not known if the mining company expected to find minerals of value in the cave or planned on developing it for tours. The McDonald family decided to attempt to make a living from the cave by enlarging passageways and building wooden ladders and steps with the hope of attracting travelers. Alvin fell in love with the cave and began systematically exploring its passageways. He used a single candle at a time and unraveled a string behind him as he went deeper and deeper so that he would always know his way out. He kept a journal in which he described his exploration of the cave and the naming of the rooms and passageways. He began giving tours to travelers from nearby hot springs, calling himself the Permanent Guide of Wind Cave. Though the wonders of Wind Cave were spectacular, travelers were not prepared to crawl on their hands and knees in suits and dresses. 
One day, Alvin left a small tour group in a room in the cave with their lunch while he explored a bit. He got so deep into discovering he forgot all about them, only to remember moments before falling asleep in his bed that he had left the group behind with one candle, which was surely burnt out. Alvin spent all day, almost every day, for more than three years exploring and guiding within Wind Cave. He gave names to rooms, routes, and interesting features. He estimated distances, and through his diary, he kept a record of explorations. He quickly realized the complex nature of the cave, passageways that he would explore ten miles of. He wrote in his journal that he had given up the idea of finding the end of the cave. He appreciated the beauty and natural features, but like others of his era, removed cave formations to sell to visitors. In the spring of 1891, the McDonald family was busy making improvements in the cave and gearing up for the tourist season. J.D. McDonald, Alvin's father, was making weekly visits to Hot Springs to report to the local paper on the progress of developments. Talk of the cave's potential caught the interest of a man named John Stabler, who McDonald sold somewhere between one-third and one-half interest to, creating the wonderful Wind Cave Improvement Company. Stabler was also given the right to build a hotel near the cave entrance. To publicize the cave, J.D. McDonald traveled to Iowa to display minerals at the Ottumwa Coal Palace and the Sioux City Corn Palace. During the summers of 1892 and 1893, two large publicity stunts made local headlines. One was a petrified man purported to be found near Wind Cave and promptly displayed inside it. The other was the arrival of Professor Paul Alexander Johnstone. Johnstone, a famous mind reader, ventured into the cave blindfolded to search for and eventually find a pin hidden there by local townsfolk. In November of 1893, Alvin left Hot Springs to join his father in Chicago. He was to assist in selling cave specimens at the World's Columbian Exposition. He contracted typhoid fever in Chicago and died about a month later. He was 20 years old. Alvin was buried near the cave he loved so dearly. A bronze plaque on a stone marks his grave on a hill above the natural entrance. Though his life and times at Wind Cave were short, Much of what we know today about the mysterious caverns are a direct result of Alvin McDonald's meticulous journal. During the next few years after Alvin's death, Ownership of the cave became a major question. A lack of a government survey of the area made possession of a clear title almost impossible. Mining and agricultural claims provided only a small degree of protection to the owner, as they were dependent on proofs of improvement or valuable mineral deposits. 
1893, the South Dakota Mining Company brought suit against the McDonald's and Stablers for restitution of property and premises. But by this time, both the McDonald's and Stablers had filed homesteading claims around and over the entrance of the cave. The case was in court for several years, but no decision was reached. Of course, as it goes with most of our natural wonders, indigenous people had long before found Wind Cave, though there's no evidence they ever entered it. To the Lakota people, Wind Cave is a sacred place, an important piece of their very existence. My name is Shina Berigal, and I'm a member of the Oglala Lakota tribe. Wind Cave is very special to us. In our language, we call it Onia Oshoka, or Maka Okloke, which means the earth is breathing. And the reason this cave is so special to us is that this is the site of our emergence story, which is part of our larger creation story. Now, in Lakota culture, Culture and history are passed on through an oral tradition that is stories going from generation to generation. And for that reason, there can be a lot of variations of the same story. But in our culture, what's important to us is not you know, the smaller details, but the larger idea. And the larger idea in any story you hear about Wind Cave is that Lakota people emerged out of Wind Cave. So this story was passed on to me by Wilmer Mesteth, who was our tribal historian and an elder in our tribe. Uh, Wilmer unfortunately passed away towards the beginning of 2015, but in our culture, when our elders pass away like this, the way that we honor them and keep their memory alive is to keep telling the stories they told us and to keep teaching the things that they taught us. What emergence means in an anthropological sense is that a people believe that they lived underground and they emerged onto the surface of the earth. The story I tell is a little different because in this story, Wind Cave is a passageway, and somewhere hidden deep inside this passageway is a portal to the spirit world, and that's where the people were living. They were waiting until the earth was ready for them. So the story begins at a time when the earth was here and all the plants and animals, but there were no people yet, and there were no bison either. There were two spirits who had been banished to the surface of the earth. Their names were Ikdomi, the trickster spirit, and Anagite, the double-faced woman. This was a woman who had two faces on her head. On one side, she had a really beautiful face, and on the other, she had a really horrible face. It was twisted and gnarled. Now, these two spirits only had each other for company, so Ikdomi was always playing tricks on Anagite, just bothering her and torturing her. And she really hated him until he started to get bored and he decided he was going to play a trick on the human beings. So he asked for Anagite's help and he told her that if she helped him, then he would never bother her again. And so she agreed. So to begin the trick, Anagite took a pack. She loaded this pack with buckskin clothing that was beautifully decorated with porcupine quill work with all kinds of berries and dried meats and she put it onto the back of her wolf companion. Ikdomi the trickster opened a hole in the ground and sent the wolf down inside through the cave's passageways until it found the portal and went through to meet the humans. You know, once there it showed them everything that was on its back and they took out the clothes and they passed them around and tried them on and tasted the berries. 
but it was the meat that they really liked because there's nothing like that in the spirit world. They wanted more. So the wolf told them, if you come with me to this place called the earth, you can have all these things and more. Well, the leader of the people was a man named Tokahe, and he didn't want to go. He said the creator told us to wait here till the earth was ready, and that's what I'm going to do. Most of the people decided to wait with Tokahe, but the ones who had tasted the meat went with the wolf. So the wolf led them through the dark passages of the cave. And when they came up to the surface, the very first thing they saw was a giant blue sky above them. And it was summertime, so all the hills around there were covered in green and yellow grasses. And these people thought this was the most beautiful place they'd ever seen. And the wolf led them to the lodge of Anagite, and she was in disguise. She had a shawl over her head, hiding her horrible face and showing only her beautiful face. So she invited them inside, she fed them, and she told them that she would teach them how to get everything the wolf brought. And she was true to her word. She taught them how to hunt and to gather berries, dry meat, quill clothing. But this work was very difficult. And these people actually had an easy life in the spirit world. So they worked slowly and they got tired easily. And you have to remember, they knew nothing about the seasons on the earth. So when winter came, they weren't ready for it. They didn't have enough clothes for everyone or enough food. So they started to freeze and starve. And they were desperate for help, so they went back to Anagite. But it was at that time that she revealed her true intentions. She pulled the shawl from her head, revealing her horrible face. And with both her faces, beautiful and horrible, she started to laugh at the people. And the people were all terrified of her, so they ran away, back to the hole they'd come from, only to find that Ikdomi had closed it up again, leaving them trapped on the surface. So these people didn't know what to do, or where to go. They were cold and they were hungry. So they just sat down on the ground and they started to cry. It was at that time that the creator heard them and asked why they were there. They told the story of the wolf and Anagite, but the creator was upset. The creator said, you should not have disobeyed me because now I have to punish you. And the way the creator did that was by transforming them, turning them from people to these great wild beasts. And this was the first bison herd. So some time passed and finally the earth was ready. Tokahe led the people out of the cave and along the way they stopped four times to rest and to pray. And for that reason, four is a sacred number in Lakota culture. And when they emerged from the cave, they saw everything the people before them did. But there was also a bison hoof print on the ground. So the creator told them to follow that bison because if you follow the bison, you'll have everything you need to live on this earth. From it, you can get food, clothing, shelter. It leads you to water. And as the people were leaving to follow the bison, the creator did one more thing, and that was to shrink down the hole from the size of a person down to the size it is today so that the people would always have it and they'd never forget where they came from, but also so that they'd know not to try to go back to the spirit world because their lives were on the earth now. Wind Cave, like many caves, is full of rooms with tongue-in-cheek names provided by their discoverers. The Bachelor's Quarters is named for the thin layer of dust and dirt that covers everything in it. 
spelunkers on a lunch break in two large rooms they had just found had all coincidentally brought sandwiches made on bagels. The new rooms were dubbed the Bagel Ballroom, and a hole in the floor that led to another room was dubbed Bagel Hole. A large connected gallery became the Bagel Bowl. In 1989, a new room would be discovered, completely unintentionally. It was named before it was ever found. By a psychic. Here again is Abigail Trebu. On Sunday, October 22nd, 1989, the National Outdoor Leadership School conducted a mock search and rescue operation at Wind Cave National Park. The 17 young cavers were mostly paired into teams of two and set out into the various passageways. 18-year-old Tallahassee, Florida native Rachel Cox and her partner found themselves deep in a passageway disagreeing about the way back. An argument ensued, and the pair split, each going their own way. Rachel was unfortunately wrong. After a long time heading in the wrong direction, her single carbon light source extinguished, but instead of staying put, she continued to find her way out before falling through a 50-foot vertical shaft and becoming stuck. Nearly 150 volunteers began searching for Rachel in rotating shifts, a process made difficult by the thick walls of the cave that don't transmit sound well. Eventually, volunteers heard clicking noises about a thousand feet from where she was reported lost. They then made voice contact with Rachel but not until they were almost right above her. They passed her food and water through a crevice while they searched for another two hours for a large enough space for Rachel to crawl out of. She left the cave at 2.40 a.m. that Wednesday, 37 hours after she was lost. Before she was found, the park received a call from a psychic who said Cox would be found in a room with Duncan in the name. In fact, the room she had been discovered in was new territory that had yet to be described. To fulfill the psychic's prediction, it was dubbed Duncan Room. Rachel Cox's misfortune led to new safety precautions for cave explorers. Teams of three are the norm nowadays, and cavers always carry three sources of light. Wind Cave is known for its boxwork, a unique, brittle formation rarely found elsewhere that looks like mail slots or miniature shoeboxes. The National Park is full of underground wonders, of course, but it's just as spectacular above ground, where the vast Dakota prairie meets the island of Ponderosa Pines, called the Black Hills. Bison and elk majestically roam the open prairie above the massive prairie dog towns. In fact, it's one of the best national parks I know of for wildlife. And you get to avoid the crowds of more popular parks like Yellowstone. Bison and prairie dogs will greet you on any visit but the elk take a little more patience. 
They're a finicky creature, but still can be seen from trails and from the main park road, usually around dusk. There's nothing like a massive bull leaping through the air. Cave tours for a fee are offered year-round, but the quantity drastically decreases outside of the summer busy season. There's no fee to enter the park, and even if you don't have time for a cave tour, the scenic drive on Highway 385 from Hot Springs up through Wind Cave National Park and into Custer State Park is well worth the trip. There is a no-hookup campground and available backcountry camping within the park, but campers looking for water and electricity should consider staying at Custer or in the Angostura Recreation Area to the south. This episode of America's National Parks was written by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trebu, with Ranger Cena Bear Eagle. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our new America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is yours. My land from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.